0: Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkevicius. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 122. Today is Sunday, November 26, 2017. And today's guest is a Swedish composer and organist Thomas Oberg from Stockholm. Most of his works are written for the organ and are characterized by their rhythmic joy, simplicity and humor. He has stated that music must bring enjoyment without abandoning reverence, and as such his style often uses the most basic of musical materials to create a discourse that is both spiritual and visceral. His music has been performed by organists at festivals throughout Europe, Asia and the USA. He also tours regularly worldwide as concert organist with his own works. Thomas is a member of Society of Swedish Composers since 1986. In this conversation, Thomas Oberg shares his uh, insights about his musical style and creative process and gives tips for organists who would love to begin composing uh, but don't know where to start. You can find out more about Thomas and his compositions uh, at his website, which is at uh, abergmusic.com. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, Thomas, for joining in this conversation. I'm so delighted to get to know you personally. I've heard so many fantastic things about your music from my friends, organists, James D. Hicks. And um, uh, Carson Kuhlman and Marco Lomuscio, who all uh, know you very well and appreciate your input in your uh, compositions and uh, your uh, importance in the organ world. Thank you so much for creating, and especially thank you so much for sharing your wisdom tonight. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And those organists you're mentioning here—they are big. Be- wonderful supporters of my music, very important friends. Uh, At first we only had the professional contact but after the years we become friends because (laughs) we see each other so. I think
0: it's so it's so important Thomas that uh, composers find organists and organists find composers right? We find each other and uh, support each other and Spread the world uh, and share share the work uh, with the wor- with the world, so that uh, our work uh, gets noticed. Right, it's difficult to compose in your room in your studio, and hope that uh, you know other organists will find you. It's very very uh, often the case that uh, people need somebody to introduce them to you. Right, so those friends uh, are very important.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, most of the organists are most interested in the old classical stuff. And those composers are dead. <laughs> like Bach yes. or the French guy. Jean Guillou is still alive. Uh, but but um, there are a group of organists uh, over the whole world that are interested in contemporary music. And they, they also have created, they've been working for many years, they also created a uh, audience who also uh, are interested for for modern music. That comes together. The organist creates the style of the audience. Yes. You are a Bach organist and you only play Bach, you get only Bach listeners, but if you educate the audience about new music, you get a more vital audience demanding for hearing more modern music.
0: I'm so glad that there are people like you uh, who are still uh, creating, you know? They are not satisfying uh, themselves with um, uh, pieces that Dead Masters created centuries ago, right? And they want to continue this living tradition to the next generation, and you are one of them. Yeah,
1: yeah, yes. Yeah. I've been very blessed uh, from the start. And I, I like this social part of being a composer. of the joy is just making the music, to sit in your home, at the piano, at the organ. 50% of the joy is the contact, the social part, contact with organists and listeners.
0: Exactly. So how did it all start, uh, Thomas? Uh, How did you fall in love with organ composition and music?
1: It was in, in the middle of the 70s, that's 40 years ago. You know, I I, um, I I was born in 1952, and, yes. and um, at that time, every kid had piano lessons. We all Every kid could play some kind of instrument. And there were also very big live music market at that time. In every genre, you could go to jazz concerts, organ concerts, electroacoustic concerts. This was before internet and YouTube, and you know that. So, yes. Uh, When I was around 23, 24 years old, uh, most of my friends were still listening at their teenage music, but it wasn't enough for me anymore. So I started to listen to modern music, contemporary classical music, and experimental music. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of those concerts in Stockholm during the 70s. It was great to be a young person in Stockholm during the 70s. And we had a lot of organ concerts. You could go to organ concerts every day. And during the years uh, 1976, 1977, it was quite normal for me to go to three concerts a day. I could go Mm -hmm. to one lunchtime concert, organ concert, and two in the evening. And the repertoire was uh, very different from the organs at that time. I would like to say that they played 70% the old stuff like Bach, the classical standard repertoire, but 30% modern music and instrumental yeah. music. So, by that, I was interested in the instrument. Organ, church organ. It was these, these mysterious instruments up there in the organ loft. <laughs> uh, and you saw a, a, a guy coming out after the concert through a door. He was dressed in black like Dracula. Everything was very mysterious. And I liked that. I wanted to hear, learn more.
0: Thomas, do you remember the day when Volumina by uh, Georgi Ligeti was um, uh, premiered in Stockholm?
1: Not the premiere, but I had the music behind me here, uh, the score. Mm-hmm. So I heard that. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah, uh, when they. Uh, it was a very famous story, right? And uh, this piece is so demanding uh, from the organ as well, too. um uh, I've, I've happened to listen to this organ, to this piece uh, on a number of occasions and one of them was uh, in, in uh, G- Gothenburg, uh, yeah. as you say, Göteborg, in in New Kir- uh, Chirka uh, Church uh, on this uh, Baroque um, style, New, uh, North German Baroque style for manual instrument where Hans yeah. Davidson played it with two assistants, I think, and uh, it was uh, with uh, Minton temperament, this experimental uh, avant-garde piece from the 1960s, right? Mm. So, uh, did you happen to listen to some of them, uh, of these pieces when you were growing up too?
1: Yes, there were a lot of music like this during that time, many Swedish composers as well, both in the traditional way, but also very experimental. And of course, yeah. nothing was <laughs> it wasn't always good. Volumina is an excellent piece, but it was a, it created a very generous atmosphere for experimentation for experiments. Yes, you experimented with with, with new uh, atmosphere, with no, new sounds, new pieces that were welcoming to new composers. Uh, so. Uh, the the, the climate for organ over concerts that era was very generous and open minded, so we had a lot of stuff like, like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So Thomas, uh, uh, talking about organ experiments, when you create your music, do you also think about experiments, or do you uh, do you know what will come out?
1: Yeah, it it depends. It's very different. I was more wild during the 70s. And uh, sometimes I go back to those pieces and see uh, what they say to me today. I made a recording here, I think it was last year, of my very first opus, Dreams from 1976. It's written in graphic manuscript and recorded it. Quite a good experiment. Experience to go back to the old style, but experiments. Uh, I, I was no. I was more experimented during the seventies
0: and early eighties. G- great. So, uh, but now you are a little bit more, uh, a little bit changed, right? How changed your music style over the years? Can you tell us a little bit?
1: Yeah. I started quite wild during the mm-hmm. 70s. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I was very young as it was the atmosphere of, of that decade. But then later, I had uh, composition lessons from our great uh, Swedish composer, Gustav Schoenberg, and he, fir- he first tried to make a church musician of me. But I refused that. Uh, but during that period, I, I wrote some church music. Uh, for for services and so uh, and I also had a contract with the publisher who published that music but um, uh, I, I, I like more the concert music the outgoing concert music and during the 90s uh, I began having more and more contact with American organists and then mm-hmm. Stream outgoing style. So um, I think that my uh, latest Tukatas has a m- more American style, uh, working with minimalism also. I like the American minimalists.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, when James D. Hicks uh, was here in Vilnius, uh, um, I remember uh, that he also played uh, your piece, right? and yeah, um, so. yeah. he 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 calls his project Nordic journey and uh, of course uh, he uh, appreciates uh, Nordic atmosphere in in, in some of uh, Nordic composers' works, uh, so do you c- c- do you consider yourself as as a Nordic composer, Thomas? Yeah,
1: because I I, I live here, uh, born in, in mm-hmm. Scandinavia, and I know Jim James uh, the James the Higgs has especially requested for, for this for pieces in this Nordic mystical atmosphere. I yeah. asked him. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked many times, Jim and I, about this. Uh, what makes him interested in, in this Nordic music and this mystic atmosphere, uh, trolls, uh, and trolls, Vikings. So, so the, uh, the piece I made for him, to the number 13, I guess, it is about this Nordic mysticism. It illustrates uh, an evening at... The, the midsummer day we have in Sweden—it's uh-huh. not, not a religious it's a, uh, it, it, holiday. It's uh, almost a <laughs> holiday. Uh, all mystic things happens in nature, and, you know. So um, uh, I put a lot of work in, into that to get the piece that Jim likes.
0: Right. Yeah. So you mentioned Toccata number thirteen. Yeah. It's it's so interesting that you inserted this Nordic atmosphere into such a. Non descriptive piece right like a, like a free improvisatory uh, virtuoso writing style, which could be basically anything motoric uh, uh, finger motion passages but but you also thought about midsummer's um, festivity right which yeah, is big yeah, yeah. so so what specifically can you Uh, uh, Can you think about what kind of Nordic elements did you put into this toccata? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been at many midsummer celebrations in in my lifetime, especially when I was young. So I, I remember this mystic atmosphere, the Nordic light, being out at night at midsummer night. It is very mysterious. So yeah. so I have very easy to, to, to embrace that feeling. So, and I did that, especially for Jim. For but that's not, not my normal status. I worked more during the 80s with this Nordic uh, romantic atmosphere, Nordic, uh-huh. this, this, this Swedish folk music style. So... But uh, I came back to that with Takata number 13 because of being our friendship.
0: <laughs> Great. Uh, so uh, what comes first for you, the music or the title? How do you start creating your compositions?
1: At most, it's the music, but there are exceptions. I remember my piece, uh, November music, for example. That In that case, the title came first and the music after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So most you have you have the music first, of course,
0: uh-huh, and later on after after you work uh, a little bit, you figure out what what the uh, title could be, right
1: yeah what I, I ask myself, what is this, what is this <laughs> it's and like a
0: sculpture. Uh, it's like a Michelangelo uh, who uh, who did David, right? Sculpture of David. Wow. created this magnificent sculpture and <laughs> he didn't know what it is, right? And I guess he
1: knew David. what he was doing from this talk, but this is fun. It's like, almost like a child playing, uh, you know, with your toys. Something, you, you have that atmosphere when you sit by the organ. You just play for fun, like a child, you know. And, and something very often comes very, some, very often something good comes out of that more often than you have a more intellectual attitude to the composing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I
0: liked your your uh, term like a child's play, right? You have to be playful with with your. A creative process, right? You don't have to be very rigid and strict. You have to let the fantasy going, right? Yeah. And kids kids are very good at this.
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, my motto as composer, as you can read on my website, is feed free, have fun. And I often write that um, on the manuscript. Um, it happens that the organist uh, contacts me and ask, how shall we play this? Right many direct questions. I am, I say, feel free, have fun. Surprise me, surprise me.
0: Oh, you are <laughs> one of those people who who give the freedom to performers, right?
1: Yes, I invite the organist. I invite the organist to like a Swedish smuggler's spoon. Right. Yeah. Have because... Have fun, I say. Enjoy. Because
0: there are some composers who are very particular about how their music should be performed, right? They have this image, ideal image in their mind, and they work very closely with organists, uh, right, into discovering the the correct registration, correct tempo, correct yeah. articulation, everything.
1: Yeah. And
0: uh, do you you don't do that?
1: No, no, not at all. I don't like it. Um, It doesn't fit with my music. It's the same with registration. I've heard from organists going to my concerts here in Stockholm and say, hey, Thomas, you're you're playing different every time. You played different, you had a different registration last time, which is right. I say, both are right. (laughs)
0: Exactly.
1: And one day you will be in one mood
0: to play and in another day you will be in another mood, right? Yes,
1: yes, because I played these pieces so many times, so it must have variation in temperament and registration and all that, so...
0: Wonderful. So uh, when people approach you um, for compositions, do you offer them some of the pieces or sometimes do you create specifically for some organs like James
1: you should have asked Carson Coleman and James about this Thomas Avery having commissions because then you should have you you have a big laugh from them because I'm the only composer who doesn't take commissions because I I yeah, when I have a commission, I I get depressed and 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 uh, everything stops working in my head and so I I don't like commissions. So don't uh-huh. pay me for commissions because I get depressed. I have sleepless nights. I have anxiety, and I told Carson and Jim this in Boston when we met two years ago, and everybody was laughing loudly because it's very unusual for a composer but uh, of course i i made a few commissions right but uh, i was forced Mm -hmm. uh, and and did it with a lot of struggle and and, uh, i told myself i would not do it again
0: so Mm -hmm. So you like you like uh, basically to be free with your creative output Yeah,
1: 100 free but it can happen this way. An organist can contact me and say, hey, can you write something for me? I would like to make a commission. No, I say. But maybe in a year or two, I write something for you as a gift. Right. That has happened several times. So maybe two, three years later, I come to this organist and say, hey, I've written something for you.
0: How beautiful. How beautiful. Musical gift. What can be better for a
1: yeah. musician? Right? Yeah, simply because my brain doesn't work under those circumstances. Uh, being forced to use, to, to, to make a piece in a certain time
0: right yeah. be- because people when when they ask for a commission they have very um, strict ideas right what should be uh, done and uh, how it should be done and how long the piece should be and what on what which kind yeah. of organ right
1: wow. yeah. and you
0: would like to be kept free
1: yeah it's like inviting friends to dinner, but if friends starts calling you week before saying, hey, we want that, we want that kind of food, you lose the freedom to, to prepare dinner for them in your own way.
0: Exactly. Yeah, well, I, I
1: have some stories about this uh, commission stuff. That's a that,
0: great uh, analogy with, with inviting guests for dinner, right? And <laughs> they st- suddenly take orders from you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's much more fun to surprise them. But uh, yeah, I have many stories about uh, commissions, uh, That uh, let <laughs> me take that another time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fun stuff, fun stuff.
0: Fun. Uh, so Thomas, uh, where does your inspiration come from?
1: Um, yeah. Inspiration. It very often comes from other composers. Either I, I, the composers I know, or or, or just are, are are a listener fan to, um, uh, and I have those composers who always give me inspiration. Uh, Meredith Monk, the American composer, New York based. Yeah, she, her music is like. Uh, Uh, Injection of of fantasy inspiration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, Steve Reich. I got inspiration from him.
0: When you work, uh, Thomas, do you wait for an inspiration to come or do you uh, just work and invite inspiration later?
1: I work with the music every day, Mm -hmm. uh, two to five hours. And when you work, when you work with your music that, that way, constantly, you, have, you get, get a few ideas, not every day, but at least every week. But not a complete piece, but material to a piece. Mm-hmm. And I write it down, or, or record it, uh, so forth. Mm-hmm. Do, you,
0: do you like working on several projects at a time? Or your mind cannot focus on multitasking? Maybe you sit sit down and complete one kind of project, right? One piece, and then go go ahead and think about the new idea afterwards. Or can you do several pieces simultaneously?
1: No, no, I can't do that. I work at one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have to work with several... music. Things because I take care of all the administration, uh, so I have emails and updates and website and you know, recording that I can do together with composing, Mm -hmm. but not compose more than one piece at a time. No, I'm not able to do that.
0: Do you compose in the morning or uh, late at night?
1: Uh, I'm a a night person, I'm a night owl. Night, okay, I have my best ideas. After ten o'clock in the evening and work between ten and two, three o'clock in the morning. Wow! <laughs> that's, okay, that's Thomas Over. <laughs> yeah. I see.
0: That's it's it's so important to find your ideal time of the day to write, right? Uh, to create because uh, in the hectic world that we live in, with hectic lifestyle. Uh, ideas might become also hectic, and uh, we can't focus. If uh, sometimes we create in the morning, sometimes in the yeah. evening, sometimes we miss a day or two, right? But you, if you develop a habit of uh, sticking to your night schedule, then uh, it's kind of predictable, right?
1: Yeah, I don't have so much stress around, and uh, not in the evening I, I sleep in the morning, but. Um, uh, it's something about nights that I like about. Uh, I used to say, God only speaks to me, give me ideas at night. Mm. <laughs>
0: All right, I'm good idea.
1: Person.
0: All right, um, so uh, Thomas, what's the most challenging thing for you when you create? Uh, yeah, uh, or several ones.
1: Yes, it's always a challenge to, to start on a new piece, mm-hmm. uh, well, to, 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 to be able to complete it, because mm-hmm. some, sometimes you start with the piece and after maybe a week or two, two weeks work, you say, no, this wasn't a good idea. This wasn't good enough. So, so that's a challenge to come over that, that it's good enough to complete and, mm-hmm. and to, be, to publish, to be published. So that's always a challenge when you start. Uh, so.
0: What about uh, the time in between projects, right? You have completed one idea, one one piece, and then you don't have any other ideas, right? Is it a challenging time for you?
1: No, in I, you know, I work with my music every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always composing, but there are always so many things to do, especially nowadays, when we have Facebook, we have the internet, YouTube. And but if, if I don't have anything to, to compose, um, I practice. Mm-hmm. And then I, during the last two years, I've been arranging old organ pieces for piano. Okay. Other than mentorship of a very good pianist, uh, my friend and colleague, Kurt Feiglander who makes uh, piano concerts. So, um, and, but practice and, and administration, asking, answer emails and so That's fun stuff to do that. And I had an email now this afternoon from Marco La in You have to take care of that. And, Thank you for all the performance and help you with what he was asking for. And that's always things to do. But when, if you not have any emails and not have any recordings to upload on YouTube, you practice. You have to practice a lot because I still give concerts. Right.
0: Yeah. How do you uh, arrange your concert programs? Do you always play your music also, or uh, rarely?
1: No, I always only get invitations as a composer mm-hmm. for the concerts. So I only play programs with my own music.
0: With your own music?
1: Yes, and it's been like that for, for almost 40 years. If they want to hear Bach or yeah, the books, the hood and so they call somebody else.
0: Exactly.
1: It, it, it is it's like Philip Glass or Stephen. Ra- you don't invite Philip Glass to pay, play piano concert and say, ask him to write to play Rachmaninoff, for example, or Prokofiev. You, you invite him to see the composer, hear the composer. It's the same with me.
0: So Thomas, when did you understood that? When does this uh, um, y- idea of being uh, in a position, a unique position, right, to specialize in your own performances, uh, came to you? Uh, was it late in life, or or was it always like that?
1: Yeah, I. St- When I had my lessons for our great Swedish composer Sigurd Schoenberg between 1981 and 83, composition lessons, when I started those lessons with him, (coughs) I had an image of myself just being a composer, not a performing artist, just to compose, be published, and let other professional organists play your music. But Stigolf Schoenberg, he was very wise uh, because he forced me to play solo concerts with my own works. Uh, it started with uh, small lunchtime concerts in his church, St. George's church here in Stockholm, St. George in English. Yes. But I, I, but I couldn't see myself as a performing solo organist at that mm-hmm. time. He forced me, and I, had, I remember I had panic about that thought, playing my own words at a solo concerts. But mm-hmm. in July, 1981, I had my, my first solo concert, full-time solo con- concert, one hour. Yeah. After that, I, I thought, this, this is maybe fun to do, so I continued with that. And then uh, after a while, I had invitations to mm-hmm. come and play my
0: own pieces so. uh, I think it's so important for people to understand what you're doing with your performances because uh, they can also think about themselves like this they have to uh, also realize that if if they want let's say. Uh, and an organist uh, called um, X, right? For example, X. Uh, His or her name is X, Mr. or Mrs. X. Um, So, if he plays, if Mr. X plays anything, right? So then uh, organizers uh, would be, you know, very, very, you know, they would invite anybody, right? But if they want Mr. X to come, Mm -hmm. then they they want him or her to play whatever is best for 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 that person, right? Yeah, so yeah. they have to specialize in a way—not yeah. necessarily their own music, but something different, something about unique, so that nobody else could duplicate, don't you? Think?
1: Yeah, and you know, mo- most of the concert or the professional concert organs—they have a profile. Mm-hmm. For example, James D. Hicks—he's been talking to me about that it's important to pro- have a profile. I mean, he has his profile in Nordic organ music.
0: Yeah.
1: I have as, as a composer, playing my music.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. We have to find our voice, right? Find our voice in, in, among thousands of other voices in the organ universe,
1: right? yeah.
0: How are we unique?
1: Yeah, and this genre needs a lot of promotion. I remember Steve Reich, I read his biography, and he said when he started being a composer when he was young, he understood from the very start that no ensembles in this New York area would play his music or soloist. So he, he saw the importance of putting a band together, so he created this Steve Reich band and played yeah. it. It later became very famous today is one of the most famous composers in the world.
0: Exactly. So, so
1: it it is because of promotion or it's very important to promote your own work. Yeah. So
0: do you work with agents? Agents Thomas uh, or you do everything uh, yourself?
1: No, I, I don't make enough money to, to, to <laughs> for having an agent. So that's because I why I have so much work at home. Uh, I have to do all the emails and requests and so on. But I, I like it. But I have a publisher, Noteria, uh, the big uh, Scandinavian publishing company. So they help me with distribution of sheet music and all the requests uh, and, so that comes that about that so but mm-hmm. but uh, i don't have any agent for me as as uh, as a performing artist
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great um you then have to do many things right you have to wear many hats as a composer as a performer as yeah. a manager right as a communicator uh public relations right you do mm-hmm. everything Right? Even uh, technology, you have to figure out how internet works, right? How to upload your videos on YouTube and SoundCloud yeah. uh, audio files.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is a lifestyle being a composer. You have to work a lot of time. It's very difficult to have normal relations like that because it takes so much time. Mm-hmm. So, but it's fun. <laughs> It's like so, actually extreme golfer, tennis player, all interested in tennis. All your friends are tennis players, golf players. For me, all my friends are composers, organists. We only think of organ music. We are crazy.
0: <laughs> I've been meaning to ask you, Thomas, when you mentioned uh, child's play and uh, how, you, how the ideas come to you in a free way, right in a playful way, do you think that um, improvisation is also close to your heart?
1: Yeah, but uh, only private. I improvise a lot, but never in public. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what, uh, often that way, uh, uh, that's the start of a new composition, especially with the Toccatas, so when you need a lot of energy and piece, It often, very often starts with improvising, improvisation. Mm-hmm. So, so, but so never in okay. public. Never in public.
0: Mhm. So yeah, uh, I think uh, it's great that that uh, the peace can be born uh, out of this playful, uh, spontaneous idea of touching the instrument, of experimenting with the sounds, right? And something yeah. will come out, definitely. You don't know what, perhaps, but something will if you just sit down on the organ bench.
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, it's very funny. But, but, but you can see your pro- profile as a composer even in your improvisation. I mean, you see, this is Thomas, after all. Uh, it doesn't come out any. George Ligeti, for example. So You still are... Thomas, <laughs> so you so, have our own style, uh, my
0: own language. Wonderful. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, Thomas, uh, of course, uh, a lot of people listening to us now uh, will also be wondering uh, how they can also start creating, uh, if they are, uh, you know, organists and they want to express their own ideas, p- perhaps in writing, right? Um, do you have some tips how can they start composing?
1: Well, I can give, I can give the same advice I had when I started to compose for St. Gustav Quite tough lessons. He start with miniatures because it's often very difficult to write miniatures. Short yes. pieces. But short it's, a very good, it's very good training to start being a composer, to start your career as a composer. Uh-huh. Miniatures for the instrument you, you like, for the instrument you 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 can play, so on. Write three miniatures in different characters. Can right, and that five years later becomes three tocartas. Uh huh. <laughs> After 10 years, and three symphonies.
0: Okay. Uh, So you have to try out miniatures first, right? Uh, Minimal ideas. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Because it's very difficult to write miniatures, but it's a good way to start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love miniatures. I I remember that that period. I I wrote a lot of miniatures, and I I was inspired during the early 80s to write for small small pieces for small organ. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Carson Kuman likes uh, chamber organs, right?
1: Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. So, I was advised at that time, I remember the, the, the organist at the Stocking Cathedral at that time, he played my pieces very often. He, he said about Miniatures, small pieces for small organs, that the contemporary composers at that time—this was in the beginning of the eighties—they are only interested in the big sound of the organ. A lot of tunes at the same time, fortissimo, like Ligeti. Yeah. <laughs> they forget the dy- dynamics about small instruments like the instrument you were playing at in Santa Gerchard here in stockholm mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wonderful so when a person creates some uh, miniatures uh, very small pieces one minute of duration two minutes yeah. of duration right um, uh, what kind of uh, challenges uh, uh, are waiting for for such a uh, organist, uh, of course you have to control the form very well, right, and be very concise in your writing because your piece will end in a moment, right? <coughs> what else?
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be like that. You, you can write like a sketch in a form of sketch. A sketch also with open beginning, open ending, <laughs> It ends mm. in nowhere. <laughs> That's also nice. So you don't have to be so strict and formal. <laughs> Feel free, f- have fun. <laughs> remember that, right? Yeah. Feel free, have fun. You can end the it, piece with, in a, with a surprise instead.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. So, what about surprising endings? Do you sometimes end pieces in a surprising way, Thomas?
1: Yes, I, I, I do. I don't remember now exactly. Uh, but I remember when I studied with Stigostav Stigos Schoenberg, he 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 was very much, he was very focused on the, how to end a composition. That's exactly very often the most difficult. Uh, but I have some surprising endings in a fantasy piece called Orr, for example, from 1996, and Marsh Babaku from 83. Um, surprising. Mm-hmm.
0: And what does it take to create a surprising ending for you? Uh, if a person, if your listener expects, for example, your music to go up, you go down, right? Uh, or, or if if the listener expects a dynamic uh, augmentation, like like crescendo, right? Yeah. You suddenly can do diminuendo, Or am I wrong about this? How do you create surprise?
1: Um, you have to go against that uh, <laughs> expected mm-hmm. <laughs> things. Um, I remember my first organ teacher, Torin Nielsen, during, during the seventies. Uh, he said to me, "You know what you shall do with this piece? Do the opposite way. Do <laughs> what not expecting. And good music, if if it uh, says fortissimo." If it's good music, you can also play it in pianissimo. You know Glenn Gold uh, worked a lot with those contrasts, <laughs> you know, yes. interpretation, the Goldberg variation like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was very fast. The latest, last recording was very slow. So uh, you, being a composer, you must also go against these you, people, the audience expect you must surprise them a little. You should not kill them, the surprises, but surprise them a little. It's like making a, a f- food, a nice dessert with surprise. <laughs> mm-hmm. So,
0: I've heard some writers uh, who, who are, for example, writing novels, right, uh, books, uh, fiction, uh, have this technique of uh, creating multiple versions of their scenes. For example, uh, if they want to surprise their reader in a way that they don't expect uh, some action to occur they they create 10-15 drafts of, of or versions of that scene yeah. or at least the scenarios of the scene and yeah, yes. pick the most uh, unusual unlikely one uh, do you work this way too with multiple drafts
1: no no uh, it, no it's it 's not so, it's a normal procedure for me to work like that, but sometimes sometimes mm-hmm. in s- some pieces invites uh, the, the composer to make surprises mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: because there are uh, there are instances where our mind at first will pick the easy way out the easy solution right yeah, yeah. and if if we stop at this, uh, then then uh, it's sort of expected, right? And we have to sometimes go uh, second, fifth, tenth time uh, uh, against our will, basically, and, uh, and push forward, right? Even yeah, if we're yeah. exhausted yeah. mentally, right? And yes. then something happens, and this uh, unexpected element of surprise will come out.
1: Yes, yes. I guess you have. I want to have something unexpected in every piece, but mm-hmm. in some pieces I want to provoke, of course. And um, um, yeah, you can do the same with harmony, not on rhythm, endings so or rhythm. you can do the, mm-hmm. the, the harmonization. Uh, Marsh Babaku from, from 1983 is a good example of that. You're mm-hmm. surprised by harmonization.
0: Okay, uh, I will. I will probably direct our listeners to listen to Mars Babakur. Right? Is yeah. it possible to listen to it online?
1: Yes, Carson Koma made an excellent recording just last month in October. Excellent. So, uh, it's number one on my on my playlist that you two with carson's recordings
0: uh. mm-hmm. so uh, wonderful uh, conversation thomas of course people would like to get m- to know more about you right and about your music and your work how they can f- find out more about you or could you direct uh, them to some place online
1: yeah it's just to google my name so but my website is the center of everything ABAMusik.com and there you have links to, to YouTube SoundCloud uh, Facebook and link also to Swedish Music Information Center, which is very important if you want to have a look at the scores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before you buy it. You can have you have samples there where you can look uh, to sa- uh, at the music. Um, uh, so, you have every information. yeah, yeah, biography, highlights, everything. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of links. Right. You're also, the Publisher, Notir, of course, and Society of Swedish Composers. But...
0: Great. So, Thomas, uh, what are you uh, working on now? What's your current project?
1: Yeah, I, I just finished a, uh, a new arrangement on. For piano uh, Toccata number one, the very first Toccata from one thousand nine hundred and eighty one okay. which from the beginning was an improvisation, but the organist at that church uh, asked me to write it down uh, and he made play, I played it many times, and even he was the first part two, not in, in St. clauia he was the first one to record anything on me on LP at that time so uh-huh. that I went back to that piece now, and made a piano version of it. But I know, but I have also a, a original organ piece. I'm working with, with my mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. now minimalist piece.
0: Great. So, Thomas, I wish you good, uh, good health uh, uh, this and many years to come, right, so that you could keep creating and keep producing and keep, of course, sharing your work with the world. Thank you so much, Thomas. You are very generous.
1: Thank you so much, Vidas. Very fun talking to you. And, and thank you for the work you are doing for, for the organ music. Wonderful.
0: Thank you, Thomas. Uh, uh, I'll make sure that our listeners will um, uh, find out more about you from obergmusic.com, right? And say yeah. hello to you, support you, and, of course, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, say hello and uh, maybe uh, motivate to create even further.
1: Yeah. And remember, feel free, have fun. That's my motto. <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, secrets of organ playing at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you online really soon.